We are back. And we, wow, please start again. <laughs> Give me just a second. We are back in the goat Zoom room. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to keep letting it go, and I'm just going to save this as a blooper reel. <laughs> no, we're good. Hey, she's at least keeping you it. You want me to keep going? I would have already thrown the phone across the room. I was going to say, yes, I think she's doing admirable at the whole composure thing. <laughs> okay, I think it's going to set up now. <laughs> We are back in the GOAT Zoom room. I'm Caitlin, and I am joined, as always, by my lovely host, Andy, and we're joined by a special guest today, Andrew Champagne. What's up, Andrew? Thanks very much for having me. Really appreciate it. Really excited to be here. So we want to we start- Yeah, we're great to have off. you. Oh, you notice how I just wanted to jump right into the whole 2021 horses that are still running. But yes, I'm excited to actually have you. I mean, our only conversation so far has been through our wonderful little chat group that we have. And uh, soon Caitlin will join that because she's going to be part of that tournament as well. Nice. But I've also warned her about the frivolity that occurs during that. Yes, that. some people there need to be warned about. So just as long as she's prepared. <laughs> I know a few of them. Yeah, I, I figured that as much. Just as long as you go in with your guard up and know how to bob and weave, you'll be fine. <laughs> nice. There yeah, you go. That'll work. Just don't punch the phone. <laughs> Not this time. Not this time, no. <laughs> so we wanted, we'll start. Speaking with, of. We'll start with the non-breaking news because we're doing this on a Thursday and no, we're doing this on a Wednesday and uh, the news came out that Tizla had retired um, after a few starts, and it seems to be the going trend in horse racing nowadays to where stallions are more, or horses are more valuable stallions than they are as race horses. So, um, I guess the bigger question is, is who comes back in 2021 this year? Well, the, the first thing that I think we need to keep in mind here is the situation that happened with Tiz the Law. Apparently, he came back off following a recent workout. They sent him over for an x-ray, and it turned out that he had indeed done something to something in his body to the point where if he had run again, it ran the risk of a catastrophic injury. So credit where it's due to the people behind Tiz the Law doing right by the horse. That's always the goal here. Now, this leads to something that unfortunately seems to get discussed every year with horses retiring earlier and earlier and earlier and earlier and running fewer and fewer times. It's a case where a lot of people breeding for whatever the heck brilliance is. If any of you can define that, I'm all for it, but it breeding for whatever brilliance is, as opposed to stamina or long-term soundness, that's where it comes back to bite you. Tis the law 
had a very good career, obviously. Belmont winner, Travers winner, Florida Derby winner. The list goes on. Really nice horse. Looking forward to seeing what his babies do at stud. And to be fair, he did at least have a full three-year-old campaign. It wasn't an instance where he ran a couple of times, then was off for a while, then ran once or twice and was gone again. We've seen that a couple of times with some really good horses. Todd Pletcher had a sprinter named Army Mule, who was the embodiment of that. He'd run once or twice, be off for 12 months, come back run a ridiculous buyer speed nut figure, and then something else would happen. But it's a case where you're right. As we head into 2021, there's definite uncertainty about a lot of the horses that are still in training because a lot of them have retired to the breeding shed. A lot of them are headed off to Saudi Arabia or Dubai for the rich races that are going there. And of course, sometimes it takes them a while to come back and get in the swing of things. It's going to be fascinating to see how it shakes out and see what horses are ready to step into the forefront and win some of the races that are considered the jewels of the handicap division. Go ahead, Caitlin. So who's your top handy, handicap horse going to be this year, Andrew, and Andy as well? Who, who's your top dirt horse for coming up in 2021 that's coming back? Well, I'm happy you asked me and not the guy in Ocala who thinks Charlatan is the Kentucky Derby winner next year. Had to go there. Yikes. That's the definition of low-hanging <laughs> fruit. Thankfully, they took that article down. But yeah, it, it certainly seems like the handicap division goes through Charlatan. Now, we don't necessarily know where he's going next. He came back and was just spectacular in winning the Malibu, outdueling Nashville and sprinting away from the rest of the field. I loved Express Train in that race. With three-eighths of a mile to go, I genuinely thought he was coming. He was gaining. Then they turn for home and you go, oh, wait. Baffert with a freak. Yeah, this isn't going to end well. But kidding aside, it looks like Charlatan's going to go in either the Pegasus World Cup or the Saudi Cup in February. From there, who knows if he's already in Saudi Arabia, Dubai's a hop, skip and a jump away. So might as well try for two while he's there. Mucho Gusto, the other Baffert runner who was expected to run big on opening day, didn't really fire and ran fourth. He's likely going to Saudi Arabia, but beyond the Baffert horses, we have I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what shakes out that's for sure really hope swiss skydiver comes back healthy maybe she tries the boys again at some point we know those connections aren't shy about doing that and it might be a case where who knows maybe she comes back gets a couple starts under her belt and in a race like the whitney we're talking about swiss skydiver going against the boys that'd be fun yeah it would be it would yeah be, it would be it would be really really fun i think i think we touched this touched on this a little bit last week with Mucho Gusto, um, you know, the, those trips to Saudi Arabia, it either takes everything out of a horse or it doesn't take anything out of a horse. And it takes a special horse like Cigar, who went overseas and came back to, to be able to do that. And Cigar was a big monster looking horse. He wasn't some, he wasn't, he didn't look like Arrogate. He didn't look like Mucho Gusto. He was a, a freak of nature. And Arrogate didn't come back the same when he went back to Dubai, and neither did Mucho Gusto. And I think I think it all has to do with how a horse how a horse is put together when it happens, and whether or not they're going to be able to carry their weight. And you know, those two horses obviously didn't carry their weight, and Bob obviously stopped on Mucho Gusto for a reason. Um, I was looking at Tizala's pedigree right now. Just on the top side alone, you have Constitution. He raced, what, eight times? Tappet raced maybe a handful of times. I thought Pulpit actually raced, like, more than he did, but he only raced six times. 
AP Indy only raced 11 times. Then you go back to Seattle Slough. Finally, you get a horse that actually raced more than a half a dozen times or a dozen times. And then on the bottom side, you have Forder Niner, but that's like four, almost three or four lineages back. And by the time you get to him, man, that, that bloodline pool and, you know, constitution wise, it just, it doesn't make sense to me to breed a horse that, that only races five or six times. It, it just, it never has. And it's really tough to, to really warrant it at this time. I would absolutely agree. Um, even that aside, he, he's a good looking horse. I mean, one of the best looking horses I've ever seen. I think he's a horse that I genuinely just had. I felt like I had a connection to, I haven't felt that since American Pharaoh ran. So I was really disappointed to see him go, but like Andrew mentioned, there definitely was some underlying factors there. And it sounds like he was on the verge of something that could have been really ugly had this not happened. But since you brought up charlatan, I definitely think the handicap division does run through Charlotte and I would agree with that as well. And one horse I do want to bring up that's not in the handicap division, but is on dirt is Chancelot. Horses had a barn switch, has been posting monster works and has been off for nearly a year. Everything I have heard from clockers, people watching the morning and just observers in general is this horse is coming back like a monster. I'd like to see how far he can go. We know Chancelot is very, very, very fast. And it's good to know that he's doing that for another barn. Let's just put it that way and use as little words as humanly possible to discuss what happened there. But Absolutely. it'll be interesting to see if as he's gotten older and matured, maybe he can stretch out a little bit. And if he does, that Met Mile on Belmont Stakes Day you get a horse like a Chancelot. You get maybe Charlatan if he's still in the United States or if he's come back quickly from a trip overseas. Maybe Nashville comes back. Maybe a couple of other sprinters stretch out. Maybe some of the handicapped horses in Florida and in New York cut back a little bit. That's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking for it's become a marquee race, actually. You can argue that there have been a lot of years where that's been the main event on Belmont Stakes Day as opposed to the Belmont. Yes, absolutely. Um, another horse that I think really fits into that puzzle is a horse, Nick's Go. I know he received an invitation to the Saudi Cup and will probably maybe even try to go to Dubai from there. I think he's the type of horse that as he keeps stretching out, will get better with age. He, he really impressed me in the Bear Mile. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him because he won a big race as a two-year-old, won that big race at Keeneland, was big odds that day. Sort of plateaus for a while, goes to the barn of Brad Cox, comes back a world beater. That win in the dirt mile was excellent. Not sure who he beat that day, but then again, who's left right now? Uh, if you were looking at it, a top five for handicap horses, Charlatan's won. Nick's goes probably to maybe depending on how you feel about code of honor. It's uh, it's going to be interesting to see the way things shake out and the Pegasus is coming up pretty quickly. It'll be interesting to see who winds up going in that race. It'll be interesting to see when they decide to just rename that the Don handicap, because at this point it's the same exact thing. <laughs> you know, I think it was a, it was a brilliant idea for maybe one time right? As a novelty. But you can't, I know what they were trying to do, but you can't have a race like that after the Breeders' Cup and then 
expect trainers to sit on a horse for two months and knowing that there's a stallion, the stallion season right behind it. I like it. The timing to me needs to get fixed because the appeal of the Pegasus, at least part of it was, oh, these three-year-olds are going to make at least one start at four. One start. Whoop-de-doo. Run it later in the year. Run it on Florida Derby Day even. The problem is you do that, those horses are going to miss a breeding season. And let's just do some quick math here. Say a multiple grade one winning horse can get 40000 as a new sire. $40,000 at stud multiplied by a book of, let's just pick a number out, 150 mares. Money talks, folks. Yep. Yeah, I agree. You. You, you pretty much nailed it on the head, but at the same token, you get, you get some people that, that look at a horse and they run it. And I'll, get, I'll give a perfect example of a horse that should not be at stud. And I'm probably going to get more hate mail off of this. Ooh. But Jess's dream should not be at stud. He should not. He wasn't, he wasn't correct when he, was at, when he was running. And the only reason why he's even at stud is because of Rachel Alexandra. And now all the Rachel Alexandra people are going to go after me. So I'll be a witness protection beginning next week. But I mean, in all seriousness, that's a horse that really, truly should not be at stud. It, it just waters down the breed. And, you know, it, it, I mean, you've been to a lot of sales, Caitlin. I've been to a lot of sales. Um, I think we're both on, on the same page when it comes to what we look for as far as horses are concerned and what the breeding looks like. Um, well, at least I hope, but I mean, I know for a fact for me, I'm always looking for horses with a lot of cannon bone to them, a lot of depth to their cannon bone, yep. because then you know that they're going to be able to handle the longevity of, of racing. Yeah. yeah, I always hate seeing these yearlings with these long skinny cannon bones. All I can think of is I'm just, I remember there was a horse and he was a favorite and um the breeders futurity a few years ago at keeneland cannot remember what the horse the horse's name is to save my life he had the longest looking can of bones i have ever seen two-year-old and he broke down in that race and i'm not saying that's what it has to do with everything but i mean those those long skinny cannon bones like that that's so important when you said you want a horse that has depth in their legs because people will truly don't realize no leg no horse um, the big thing that the point that I'll make, and I don't know nearly as much about horse confirmation as either of you two do. I know there's a brain in front. I know there's a cat in front of Caitlin right there. I, I know there's a hind end in back. And I know you want an engine somewhere with some wiring hooked up. Okay. That's the extent of my confirmation knowledge. Here's my question. Are we racing to breed? Are we breeding to race? Or is it time to entertain the notion that we're breeding to breed? Because if we're breeding to breed at this point, we got a big, big problem. I totally I agree. think we're certainly entering that Eclion. I think we're getting really close to that point because there are really, I can, I can name a lot of horses, whether they are nice horses, stakes winners, there's just some that, what's the point like you shouldn't be there anymore like one horse that I will mention Giacomo 
getting very few mares out in Oregon, has produced next to nothing, bring him to old friends or something. I mean, like, what's the, what's point? the point? Captain Bodget is 26 years old and is breeding up in North Dakota. For what? Wow. You know, and <laughs> I, was, I was thinking also, you know, partly, you know, the sales are to blame too. I mean, and I mean, you know, I do some bloodstock agenting on the side, so I'm well aware of the whole game they play. And I'll have a perfect example was a few years ago, we were at the yearling sale. I was at the yearling sale looking at some horses and I saw a really, really pretty filly at ta from TaylorMade consignment. And I loved her. I thought, man, if I, if I can get a client to buy her for 15,000, awesome, right? She, you know, she's at half to silver defense who, who, still running now so you know there's longevity in the bloodline and so i went and i got her vetted out and she didn't vet but yet there were two or three people that the guys knew, the the agents knew that she wasn't going to vet out i know she didn't vet out with those agents but yet they go and they tell their clients you know what let's go up to twenty five thousand. she'll she, she'll be worth the twenty five thousand. she has yet to step foot on the racetrack she's now three years old and I haven't seen a work yet. So yeah. what do you do? It's, it's a valid point. I mean, it's one of those things where, and I mentioned this on the show that I do, Champagne and JD. We had Gino Bacola on the week that Gamine tested positive for a painkiller. And it's one of those things where at some point, isn't the solution to a lot of the problems that racing is played with right now, breeding a better, sounder horse? If you're breeding a better, sounder horse, in theory, they're going to run more. They're going to run longer. They're not going to need race day medications. And that's its own separate conversation. I'm not one of the people saying we need to ban all race day medications. I'm not one of the people saying, oh, every race day medication needs to be let. I don't know enough to make that assumption. But if we're breeding better, sounder horses, logic dictates we won't need as many of those moving forward. And isn't that a good thing? I totally agree. And we're going to get to your other side of the JD and champagne show. And we'll discuss some handicapping products and stable duel. And because, you know, they're, they're pretty much our title sponsor, but, you know, trying to finish this off real quick with what you just said, you know, you get a lot of people that I don't know when it occurred, but I knew that there was a shift in the mid nineties when people were starting to look at horses and they'd go and do the two-year-old in training sales and the horse would work 11 and change and people would be like, that's the horse I want. Now it's 11 and change is too slow. Well, 11 and change used to be the par in 1990, you know? And, you know, if I used to look for horses that were running in 13s because yeah, they might be slow, but then you go look at them and they were confirmationally correct. They had big cannon bones. They just hadn't grown into their body. So what would you rather have? Would you rather have a horse that's going to break down after a year or are you going to want one that's going to have longevity and, you know, won't need to race on medication like you said, Andrew. And I came from a barn from Richard Mandela. He rarely used Lasix when I was there. Rarely. Only if the horse had bled would he have used Lasix. But everything was hay and oats, hay and oats. And that was it. And that's how I learned. Now... 
everybody wants the upper hand, everybody's using something different and it's not good for the breed. I absolutely agree. I think Andrew really hit it on the head. I've yet to have somebody like really put it into those words, but breeding the best qualities aside from speed and what you've done really is the key to a better horse. And the only thing I will say about Lasix is even if you have a horse that's on Lasix, how many horses still bleed? That, that, that shouldn't be happening. Yeah, I, it's there's a lot of different layers to this. And then there was a big part of that that was in the legislation that got passed a couple of weeks ago. Jury's out on what sort of effect that's going to have on the business. That's a whole other conversation for a Thank whole you. other point in time. Great news, Andrew. That legislation wasn't absolutely. Passed. It was vetoed. <laughs> yeah. Because you know, no one's getting their six hundred. No one's getting their two thousand. Everybody's waiting for that to happen, and without that happening, you know. Yeah. But with that said, so many issues we could potentially touch on. I know. <laughs> let's let's discuss JD and Champagne. You know, <laughs> good idea. A, good idea. Another time in another place. It's pivot. Great, good pivot. <laughs> great podcast. It's. Um, I like listening to it. Um, I always dream to be on it, uh, but put you in the Rolodex, <laughs> you know, but, uh, how did it get started? How did you come up with it? Sure. Um, this is actually a pretty funny story. So the very first job that I had after I graduated college, I worked in the athletic department at Siena college in upstate New York. I was doing a lot of their multimedia stuff for their athletic department. And so we'd worked with a provider named Stretch Internet. And one of the guys that was on the other end of the phone at Stretch Internet was this guy named JD. And I didn't know his last name. I didn't know him from anybody. It was me calling him on the phone saying, hey, Andrew calling from Siena. Can you take a look, test our stream, make sure everything's good to go? And he would wind up doing that. And we actually wound up, you know, talking a little bit about certain things, but you know, it was just somebody on the other end of the phone working for a company that we paid to for our streaming. So I left Sienna in 2012 and I didn't speak with him for another six years. It's just the way life works, right? Well, around 2010, I see this guy named JD Fox following me and liking some of my tweets and engaging and whatnot. And it took me a few weeks before I messaged him privately and said, oh my goodness, I know who you are. I remember you. <laughs> so we wound up reconnecting that way. And it's a really cool thing, sort of social media at its best. But earlier this year, I was toying with the idea of getting back into the podcasting world, the video stuff that I had done simply because I missed it. And this wasn't motivated by COVID or anything like that. I'd been out of horse racing on a full-time basis for a while, and I just wanted to get back in. I missed it. And I wound up talking to JD. He had a lot of equipment at his disposal. And then COVID hit. And we were all sort of left with so much time on our hands and different things that we could potentially do. We wound up starting the show together. He wound up getting me into Australian racing. That was its own thing. We've wound up doing a lot of really cool stuff. And if you're looking for something to watch as we draw 2020 to a close, thank goodness, uh, we've put together our uh, best of show from this year. That's up on our YouTube channel. And we've got a bunch of really cool uh, stuff in there. A bunch of names you'll recognize. Ken Rudolph is in there. Jason Beam is in there. 
uh, Rachel McLaughlin and Bill Downs from Indiana Grand are in there. Bunch of names that if you're on horse racing Twitter, you'll like, you'll want to see this if you haven't already. It's pretty good stuff. We're proud of the show. We're proud of what we've been able to do. And we're really looking forward to 2021. So you didn't like being a sports information director? I liked it, but it wasn't a full-time job. It was, uh, it's my first time, it's my first gig out of college, right? You know, everybody's got the stories of the things they did out of college. This is my first gig. I, it was 9.25 an hour the first year, 9.43 the second year. And then the Saratogian had an opening for a sports writer and I jumped on it. It was a money bump. And oh, by the way, you get to work in the press box at Saratoga every day during the summer. So yeah, that was your basic no-brainer. And then one thing led to another a year and a half later, and I was out to California, worked for HRTV, worked for TVG, worked for Daily Racing Forum. So it worked out all right. And now you're, now you're enjoying yourself on, on racing picks and doing your show, which, which is really popular, to be honest with you. It's, it's, quite, it's awesome to have shows in horse racing where you can go in and, A, number one, with social media now, it's a lot easier to connect with people that are on social media and that have their own shows. Two, I don't think there's enough. I, I think there was a, I think maybe Swift Hitter said, I can't believe there's another podcast show starting up when, um, when going in circles with Cannon Shell and Urban Handicapper started. And it's like, no, we can't have enough of it because we have to get it out there. It's not like, you know, you get like 55 different fantasy football shows. Why can't you have 55 different horse racing shows? They just exactly. all different. Exactly. And from where I sit, I mean, JD and I aren't making money off of this. This is a labor of love for us. And this is something we both really enjoy doing. It's something that obviously you know, we're looking to expand like everybody else is. But the primary motivation for this was for us to have something fun to do during a pandemic, for goodness sakes. And it's one of those things where if you're good at what you do and if you're passionate about what you do, that's going to shine through in some way, shape or form. And if people don't like what you're doing, they're going to let you know that too, either by telling you or just not tuning in. So we've done a lot on the show. We've got a bunch of different graphics packages that we've cycled through throughout the year. That was my favorite part of going through the, all the things that we've done throughout the year, because I was able to see how the show sort of evolved into what it is now. So that was pretty cool. We've obviously gotten a bunch of fantastic guests that I'm indebted to, people that I'm incredibly grateful to for helping us out. Uh, we got Norman Chad on one week, and that was a freaking blast. That was its own trip because I'd wanted to interview him since the first time I saw him do the World Series of Poker on ESPN when I was a high school freshman and definitely shouldn't have been playing cards online. <laughs> Hey, you can, <laughs> you can you can do it but what, what my bro-in-law did and and have, be at ut studying law playing online poker and then all of a sudden deciding in the middle of his you know getting his degree to move out to vegas and become a professional poker player you only live once Never been my strength, and I did okay doing what I did online, playing my little 10-cent, 25-cent limit games and playing occasional tournaments, but that was never anything that I was particularly interested in. I did play in a World Series of Poker event in Vegas one year. I satellited my way in. That was a blast. Only lasted a couple of hours, and I got blasted out via your basic you-lose hand, where you couldn't do anything. You were going to lose your chips. It was just a matter of how, but... Um, <laughs> 
been a case where I've been fortunate to be able to do a lot of really cool stuff over the course of my career. And this has been something and being able to reconnect with somebody like JD, who knows a lot from a technical standpoint, dude is a wizard with the stuff he's able to do. It, it's been fun. I've really enjoyed it. JD and I bust each other's shops all the time, but I keep telling him how grateful I am that we were able to do this. Now, now when you come to handy, now let's kind of segue over to some other things. We discuss stable duel a lot here because they are our title sponsor. And I know that you, I've noticed you've played it a little bit. Um, what do you think of the product? Um, is there any advice you can give people that are watching the show or listening that can basically take this and say, oh yeah, I could, that's a good idea. Sure. I enjoy the product. I think it's a really good compliment to the existing wagering platforms that are already out there. And there are times where I wouldn't have looked at a race card somewhere just because it's not a circuit I follow. But if Stable Duel's offering a five, $10 contest, I'll take a look. I'll see if there's something I like. And then that generates revenue for everybody. So it's a win-win situation all the way around. One of the things that I've realized, well, I guess there are two big things. The first is if you like a horse enough to single in a multi-race exotics ticket, I don't care what it costs. You play it in Stable Duel. Don't get cute. Don't go against yourself. Trust your instincts. Trust your intuition. And if you like a horse enough to single it in a multi-race exotic sequence, like a pick five, a pick four, whatever, just use the horse. You can find ways to cut corners otherwise. The other thing that I've found, and this goes against one of my best friends in horse racing who says you shouldn't double up in a stable duel thing because it caps your total amount of points. Well, I don't know about any of you. I can't go 10 for 10. I can't go nine for 10, eight for 10. No seven. I've done a couple of times at this place back here. That's how I made my bones as a handicapper, but don't be afraid to double up in a race. And if you use two horses and one of them is a price, at least spend $2 and box the exact just in case that's burned me a couple mm -hmm. of times where you get, you know, say a 10 to one winner and a seven to two second choice or whatever that run one to the exact that pays a hundred dollars. And I don't have it in the wallet, even though I have it in stable duel, trust your intuition. And if you want to play multiple entries, that's fine. That goes into another section. I tend to not do that. I tend to just stick with one entry and let it fly. But then again, at some point we're going to wind up running into situations where We'll do that not just in tournament shindig that they do. So that's the two big things are if you like a horse enough to single, make sure you use it and don't be afraid to double up, especially if there's a race on a card that you don't have a clue about. Santa Anita out of that nobody knows how the heck they're going to run. You can make assumptions, yeah. but it's tough to be overly confident. So if you don't feel confident in any horse there, that's fine. It's not the end of the world. You can double up elsewhere and probably be okay. Um, so what handicapping products do you use when it comes to that? Sorry about that, Caitlin. Um, what, okay. what, what, what handicapping products do you use? Do you use one specific one? Um, do you do what, I mean, you know, we've been, we're in a group chat where we discuss handicapping products. And um, I think we mentioned every single one 
<laughs> out there the other day. Yeah, yeah, we did. Um, and so, and now I now I got to get at Brian because he turned me on to HTR two, and now I'm stuck having having to do that. So um, <laughs> now I'm playing with the product to see what's going on with it, and I think it's incredible. There's a bunch of really good stuff that's out there. Uh, I have traditionally been a pen and paper guy for the longest possible time, just because that's how I learned. You know, it's it's been a case where I, I like having the paper in my hands as I do all this stuff. I have used Formulator a lot. Obviously, you have to watch replays. That technology is out there for most tracks. <coughs> Not going to name names. <coughs> Seriously, share your race replays. It's not that complicated. People will thank you and people will reward you accordingly. Now, I use Formulator a lot, especially as far as trainer stats go. One of the things that I'll use isn't necessarily handicapping software or products or whatever, but I learned this from Ren Carruthers, who I worked with at TVG when I was there. And she taught me as much, maybe more, about pedigree handicapping as anybody. I will use pedigree query a lot being able to dive in, looking at a horse's bottom side pedigree in particular, the dams, second dams, third dams, progeny records, whatever. It takes a little bit of time sometimes to be able to find the horse and dig your way through. But every once in a while, you come up with a gem and maybe that horse isn't good enough to win. But if you're playing exactas and tries and that horse runs second or third price, as far as a time ROI perspective goes, it pays for itself. Well, Andrew, we thank you a lot for your insight and all of your knowledge. We're so excited to have you on with us. So thank you so much. It's my pleasure, really. This has been a lot of fun and I'm always happy to help however I can. Look, this, this game is going to survive and thrive based on how we as people who know what's going on in the game can communicate it to others, right? That's the responsibility that we have as far as sharing this game, sharing the knowledge that we have and doing what we can to grow it, because if we don't, nobody else is going to. So as long as we can do that, that I think is that that's doing what we can and doing our part as horse racing fans and enthusiasts to grow the game. And I'm obviously all for that. Couldn't have said it any better myself. Join us next week on the GOAT Zoom Handicap Room. Yes, we are going to try to get Ray Lou Gutierrez on next week. We are Sam, Houston. Sam Houston Race Park. Have a good one, y'all.